0: Hello, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of Truth Jihad Radio. Today, the true holy war is the war for truth. Please join the Truth Jihad. Go to TruthJihad.com and become a subscriber today. I can't do it without you. Don't be, inhaling,
1: don't be ingesting. Stay inside. Don't
0: drink or eat anything.
1: These Quicker, are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years.
0: Hmm. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think the the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 11 itself. Welcome to the special live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, back from a radio vacation, or a non-radio vacation. I've been traveling, just spent uh, two and a half weeks in Morocco. And I guess I'll be talking about that elsewhere, because tonight we have more important things to talk about than my vacations. That's right, we're going to talk about U.S.-directed regime changes. In the second hour, we'll go to Pakistan for a conversation with Saida Kutsia Mashhadi. She's the editor of Voice of East and she'll be talking about regime change operations in general and the U.S. coup that overthrew Imran Khan in particular. Currently, Imran Khan, who is supported by the vast majority of Pakistanis, is in his compound surrounded by people protecting him from attempts to arrest him on a trumped-up charge. So that should be an interesting conversation. Moving on to the big kahuna of U.S. regime changes, that is the installation of the NATO-Nazi regime in Kiev in 2014. The first hour features Igor Lapotonik, the director of the Oliver Stone-produced documentary Ukraine on Fire, which is really the best available background briefer on what's really going on in Ukraine. So let's get into it. Welcome, Igor. How are you?
1: Hello, Kevin. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very good. Uh, and thank you for talking about such an important things, because to understand what has happened in Ukraine before, this can lead us and advise us how it's all going to end.
0: Well, I, I hope it's all going to end in some other way than uh, nuclear fireballs, which it seems like the uh, responsible parties, or should I say the irresponsible parties in Washington, are flirting with. Uh, and, and the question arises, how did we get into this mess? And I think your film is a, is a terrific expose of the background of it, and it's, it's hard to even know where to start. In the film, you start with the history of Ukraine. And maybe you could first yes. introduce yourself though a little bit and tell us how yes. you came to this. Yeah,
1: thank. You. Yeah. yeah, I'm a filmmaker uh, from Los Angeles. I'm American by my roots. Is Ukrainian. I'm emigrated to United States in 2008. Uh, before that, I was working in uh, not only in the film uh, industry. I was working in a big business. Uh, got tired of this. In 2005, transferred to the uh, film business and start to be a producer mostly and 2013 we after a few successful projects here in hollywood uh we come to oliver stone with idea to film a documentary about ukraine because we we believe that's an important thing and something cooking and something gonna happen in ukraine he's agreed that But he said Ukraine is a mess. It's so hard to understand because the situation is so complex and it's not so easy. So he forced me to direct, not only to produce that film, but also to direct. I was really afraid of this. That was my debut. But I all the time have a a hand of greatest dramatist and amazing director who helped me to make that film right. And uh, overall... We did, uh, four movies on Ukrainian subject, four of them. I will name them in the chronology. In 2014, we filmed one hour documentary called Maidan Massacre, when we investigating, as I know, as a true crime investigation with the evidences and ballistic and experts who was shooting whom and from what buildings. So we come to very interesting. Uh, conclusion in the end of this documentary that's that was not uh law enforcement snipers who was killed the protesters because they all was shot from the back and the ballistic trajectory leading us to the hotel ukraine and to other places what was occupied by protesters at a time of shooting not only me who come to this conclusion very famous in this investigation of this event, of this massacre, was Ivan Kachanovsky, a uh, professor um, uh, from Toronto. And he actually studied this for eight years. He suffered a lot of pressure from Ukrainian regime because they were so slow on this investigation because they was afraid because they can point the finger on themselves. And this is like you know the beginning of all that mess what we see now in Ukraine laying exactly here because that was not a revolution that was violent and brutal ending of regime changing operation with a force, because the regime changing operation do not come to the templates of color revolution, peaceful, non violent, no. They come to the bloody violence on the street because they was hurry up to, to finish it. And after that, we did Ukrainian fire. That was a two and a half year journey. We can't stop because something keep happening, keep happening. And in 2016, we after we released the Snowden film we also I also was involved with Oliver Stone, we released Ukrainian fire in Italy. We're trying to make it not very loud. We hide in a tarmina uh, international film festival, but it was good release. An Italian audience loved the film, and film got international distribution. It was practically everywhere, on all big platforms, Apple, Amazon, etc., and uh, and a big uh, even even mainstream media around the world. After that, we did the sequel together with Oliver. We filmed the movie called Revealing Ukraine. Revealing Ukraine, we released in 2019. And you know, our style is not only witness the situation, but deliver a very good historical background and research and dive deep with speakers who was responsible for decision making. This is why we have President Yanukovych in Ukraine on fire, and President Putin. This is why we keep going for this. Uh, we keep going for dead speakers, and we secured the Putin participation as a, uh, and we all inter- Oliver interviewed him in 2019 for a in Ukraine, and in 2021, and we filmed 2021. We released. The latest, our number four film, a long uh, title, Ukraine, the Everlasting Present. The Everlasting Present means everything happens again and again, and nothing changes in Ukraine. We did analysis what was an uh, economy side and a uh, level of uh, well-being and a level of life happening to Ukrainians. We managed to interview President Yushchenko, who was in power from 2004, because 2004, because he was installed by the color revolution in place, and it was very, very interesting to get his opinion on camera and his speeches. That movie was a little bit under uh, exposed, but it's available also everywhere. It's available on Apple. TV, it's available on Amazon, YouTube, Rumble, and everywhere. So overall, filming this uh, for like eight years, studying Ukraine, knowing Ukrainian language, have a good connections on the ground, giving us very unique, you know, position um, making this. Now we are actually in the process of producing the latest one, what called Ukraine War and Peace. It probably can be two movies, War and the Peace. And we're trying to arrange the good speakers. And we have some success with that. We're not Russian. We never try to catch up with the news. Because the magic of the film, that's that we have a time to dive really deep. Dive deep to the roots, explain all the motives, follow all the money, and let our audience to see different side of medal. Because from MSM, from mainstream media, they see how is it? It's a revolution. This is a bloody villain, Putin. This is a poor Ukrainian, Ukrainians who is suffering. But if you look closely, you will see totally different picture. And I, I'm very glad that our movie is doing this service for humanity.
0: Yes, I I am too. And so it's a series of films. Are are all of these films produced by Oliver Stone or was it just Ukraine on Fire that he directly uh, produced?
1: No, he was involved in Ukraine on Fire and Revealing Ukraine. Yeah, and I was not directing Maidan Massacre. Maidan Massacre was only produced by me. All of this film was produced by me and three of them was directed by by myself.
0: I see. Okay, so yeah, the, the Maidan Massacre film... Now, the first one uh, sounds really interesting, and the scenario that you're describing, that is, protesters being shot in the back from an area that's controlled only by the protesters, not by the police or the government, seems to crop up in other situations as well. It supposedly cropped up in Syria during the run-up to that regime change attempt. And I was just in Iran, um, what, three and a half weeks ago or so, and I heard the same thing happened there that these protests quote unquote were in fact uh the the people killed at these protests or a significant number of them were being shot in the back uh by their yes. fellow protesters or are these operation gladio paramilitary forces inserted into these situations who are trying to shoot sometimes at both sides to make the, uh, the police and military think that the protesters are shooting at them, and then they shoot the protesters and make them think that the government is, is killing them. And this, the Iranians who told me about this said that it's in, in the, uh, the NATO, uh, the, the Operation Gladio playbook. It's called, uh, uh taking the toll. They need a death toll to report in the media. And so not only will they yeah. shoot protesters in the back, but they will also shoot random passers-by as much as a, a blocks away from where the protests were and then blame the government for it.
1: Correct. Uh, we call it in the Ukrainian fire sacred victim. This is actually part of technology of color revolution on steroids with muscles because that now color revolution has such an ugly face. And don't forget, that's never stopped process. Uh, I was surprised myself when I find out that the United States medal in more than 65 countries abroad for the last 50 years. And uh, look at the latest one: Ukraine was not. Ukraine was most successful. This is from uh, the word of Senator McCain, one of the architect of this revolution and active operator. But after that was a Belarus in 2020. It was a Kazakhstan attempt failed boss failed in 2021 i want to stop a little bit on Belarus because this is probably like you know we need to study this and uh uh, independent sovereign countries who want to protect their government against that technology of regime changing they need to study the experience of uh, alexander lukashenko because uh no they call him last dictator in europe but look at the guy here, he's so in love with his people, with his country, but he fight really tough back. He he proceeded to, to that he prohibited all NGO meddling financially. He make an order in the mass media. He uh, slow down that social networks and don't let the people be agonized through the social networks. And he, and he heavily cracked down on the protest physically who was, Actually, provoking law enforcement, and after that, spreading that uh, picture mostly from uh, from they uh, pr- uh, set up the media. They set up entire media uh, next next uh, in the, in uh, Poland to color this protest, and they fail. So this example, this is a the brilliant example how, with the willing of president and the government to fight back against the regime change that's a disease can be you know mitigated after that we, we all see georgia just two weeks ago like starting the bloody protest with all signs of color revolution a lot of ukrainians underground and they don't even hide you know what karen ukraine now it was a breeding pool of this technology because they saw in that i don't i uh don't think they're gonna stop i think this is a list of countries surrounding Russia and this ring of fire, what they trying to ignite. The Armenia, one of them, because they already have a problem with Azerbaijan. It's, and uh, they sit in president very unpopular. So it's, and, and he himself come to the power through the color revolution, but funded not by government of United States, but private. Well, what's interesting, uh, you mentioned the Gladio. As a sleeping unit of CIA, who is ready to wake up and to uh, bring some mess to the picture, but I believe the Gladio was on a standby in Ukraine. But Ukrainian opposition was so proactive, and they was told they need a hundred of killed to arrange this uh, mainstream media buzz, and they did it without. Of course, they cheat. They they can kill only fifty. And they, they, they inflate the numbers. They put the every possible casualties. What's happened during this time? Even the one guy who sorry to hang himself on a Maidan, they put him in a list of heavenly hundred and immediately mythologize it, immediately go everywhere and start pushing this narrative. So everything was that Zelensky talking to the, uh, uh, our Congress or to the Parliament of Great Britain and everywhere in the world. He just repeating and repeating this lie. You know why I can't stand it? Because when I see the lie, I know this is a lie. And it's carefully constructed lie. And it's supported. It's a polyphonic, you know. they trying to cut off all opposition voices, all different perspective voices, just to make one melody played in a polyphonic way from different uh, outlets what they control. And people start believing in this. And it's so easy to make people believe. It's so easy to manipulate their minds. I see how Ukrainian minds was corrupted for that eight years. They changed the, the history, what they studied in the schools and the university. They, they did such a tremendous job augmenting reality and make the people uh, living in an oral you know oral dream 1984. You know what? It was interesting. I was told by my dear friend, George Ellison, that that George Orwell actually not was was not a satire. That was a plan, outlined. That was kind of manual, how to do this, how to the uh, corrupt the way of our living, and and he also gave me the good evidences that book of Orwell, 1984, was gifted to him to all prominent Pandera people here in the United States, Stetsko and others, so they were good friends. That's actually very interesting finding what we were going to talk about this in our next film. Well,
0: that's interesting. That actually uh, Mm -hmm. puts the debate around uh, 1984. It kind of frames it as the same type of debate around the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is uh, said by some to be a political satire. And, uh, by others to be an actual step-by-step manual. And I suppose yep. you could say the same thing about 1984. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, animal,
1: animal Farm as well. Yeah. Animal
0: Farm. Yeah. Well, it, interestingly, uh, the script for, uh, or rather the rights to Animal Farm, uh, were apparently purchased on behalf of the CIA by E. Howard Hunt who happens to be the CIA agent who confessed to his son, St. John Hunt, who's been on this show talking about it, that he, E. Howard Hunt, helped kill President Kennedy on behalf of the CIA. He was there in Dallas as a jury actually found. The jury uh, officially found that Hunt had participated in the Kennedy assassination in Dallas, just as as alleged by uh, Mark Lane in, in this uh, civil trial that Hunt underwent. Anyway, Hunt happened to be the guy that bought the rights from Orwell's widow, to Animal Farm on behalf of the CIA. So uh, it's just one of those can't make this stuff up moments, I guess.
1: Kevin, you cannot imagine how deep they penetrate our industry here in Hollywood. is like actually National Security Hollywood, very good book, uh, what my dear teacher and friend and partner in crime, Oliver Stone, recommend me, and I read it with a, oh, it's like, you know, page turner. Even that's such a film, what we're thinking, like, Wag the dog. What film was actually anti that manipulation and exposing this? Even that movie was penetrated by CIA and water washed some uh, the hard part of this film. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable how big the the intelligence community paying attention to to the Hollywood and to what people doing here.
0: So Wag the Dog was sort of a revelation of the method film, I suppose.
1: Yes, but they would—they would watch that. That was a CIA agents inside of producer team, and they—they they changed. They—they they guide the film. They—they they meddle in that film as well. Actually, it's an iconic satire about uh, way of manipulation, exposing the technique. But unfortunately, the CIA was in there. <laughs> I'm not talking about other films. What's actually. Uh, like, you know, serving to, to the, the goals of agency, to misleading, to disrupting, uh, and, and all, using the old techniques. Oh, by the way, you know, who was, uh, saying this openly? That was a Mike Pompeo with his famous speech, we cheat, we lie, we steal. This is how, this is how people, when they bragging the people from agency, how they happy about uh, their success.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that in in all of these cases that we just discussed, you know, the nineteen eighty four and and Wag the Dog with the CIA infiltrated there, and, and you know, the protocols and so on and so forth, you have uh, a situation where the the people who are committing these kinds of crimes may be actually sort of putting it out there for the public, but then doing it in such a way that it, it helps them or at least doesn't hurt them. Uh, it reminds me of Cass Sunstein's notion of cognitive infiltration, where he said that the 9-11 truth movement was so dangerous that someday it might become necessary to make conspiracy theories illegal. But in the meantime, before they did that, Uh, The government should cognitively infiltrate conspiracy groups in order to foster what he called beneficial cognitive diversity and thereby, quote unquote, disable the purveyors of conspiracy theories. And these are all direct quotes from Cass Sunstein's book on conspiracy theories. So cognitive infiltration, I suppose, if you have the CIA uh, working on wag the dog, I mean, that's classic cognitive infiltration. Yes,
1: exactly. And, you know, even even that, uh, you know, the people still uh, don't believe that that we helped that coup happen in 2014. Even our highest level of officials, like President Trump, acknowledged in his uh, speech that we meddling with the up uprising in Ukraine in 2014. And he named the, the person, Nuland herself, who was an architect of this uh, regime-changing operation. And look, uh, she's still around. She's still, she's still, you know, uh, it's like, like uh, when Mulan, Mulan uh visiting some uh, countries, it's better to hide the government because she's eating them on, on a breakfast. This is how the neoconservatives, together with the neoliberal interventionists, because that's exactly the same. This is the same uh, people. Uh, doesn't matter how they was before, left or right, Republican or Democrats. As soon as you radicalize, as soon as you understand what power you possess with the controlling media, that's it. That's enough. They they start they start doing the mess. And it's actually business as well. This is not uh, like you know only beliefs. Because uh, creating tensions, arranging the war, and selling the go- and selling to our government more and more weaponry, more and more weaponry. Actually, you know what, Kevin, It's interesting because. Economically thinking, this is the cancer. This is a parasite. This is completely not beneficial to society because all that spending, they're spending uh, for nothing because we're freezing our assets in this weaponry sitting in our possession. And we do not. I, I I was born in a country when for produce all this weapon grade plutonium and uranium People was deny themselves to have the color TV or refrigerator or the car. That's how the Soviet Union was preparing to defend themselves. And uh, you know, I also it's look like the the modern, contemporary, young audience they completely forget that scare what we experienced from the nuclear weapons before because we was living in a in a uh, hysteria uh nuclear hysteria when people was preparing to survive uh the nuclear attack they don't they don't believe in in a nuclear weapons they don't believe how uh devastating this weapons is they they're thinking about a nuclear war as something possible something what they see in the films i I believe the world need to be scared again because we we inch into this abyss, and that's that's very bad. I I was helping a few people in Donbas, through they making the film from 2016, the documentary, and they finishing this their story in the uh, season of Mariupol, the biggest biggest military operation. This entire city was 70% of city was destroyed, because it was produced like a fortification, and they telling me they very anti-war, you know, you cannot glorify war. If you, if you work in a, on a, on a, 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 if, if you have a moral standards, if you have moral grounds, if you believe in a life as a, some kind of sacred gift from the God to us, we, you cannot glorify war. You cannot, uh, ramp up for the war, war military victory etc etc because it's an abyss we're opening up this hole to the hell and we more and more so they, everybody who is agitating to send more weapons to ukraine they actually not understanding that they're endangering themselves because this war jumping as a fire from one place to another very quick and, and endangering our own life. So the people here who is advocating uh, for give Ukrainians more weapons, you know, you never can extinguish fire if you if you throw in the gas in the fire. You can make that fire rage more and more, but sometime that fire can jump across the border and be here.
0: Right, well, the I think it's the Union of Concerned Scientists that runs the doomsday clock, and they're putting it closer to midnight than ever. So things are worse now than during the Cuban Missile Crisis, according to them. And it's odd that most of the world is still sort of sleepwalking towards doomsday. I remember back in the 1980s, I knocked on doors for the nuclear freeze movement because Reagan was rushing to try to bankrupt the Soviet Union, and to threaten it with first-strike weapons, including the the fake Star Wars program, which was actually offensive, not defensive, mm-hmm. and it was obviously making nuclear war more likely and unacceptably so, so a whole movement arose and i actually did that for most of a year in seattle in 1984 i guess that was <laughs> good year to do that i suppose but now it, i don't really see anybody doing that nobody's knocking on my door saying hey we're we're way too close to nuclear war here <laughs> and the mainstream media yeah. is also silent i mean they actually reported on this stuff back in the 80s and and now all it is is is, is puerile you know kindergarten level Emotional cheerleading for Ukraine and no real awareness of the risks they're being run.
1: Yeah, you, you're completely right. I, I compared the last uh, rally for anti-war rally, what's happened in the February 19. My friends do this, and they they gathered like a two three thousand people. In comparison to what we see in the mid um, of 80s and 90s when the, it was millions on the streets and. Uh, I, I was start studying this and I find out it was very interesting that uh, after Iraq war, the entire anti-war movement together with the human rights movement was just simply buy out by Soros and other people. They let that die. And uh, then look on the human rights movement. This is like a joke now. So because they sitting deep in the pockets of George Soros and they, they cannot do what they want. They, they try and they was immediately restrained after they, they accused Ukraine in the violation of human rights. And actually, this is on a, a level of human rights. Ukraine now more remind me the Third Reich than, than democratically, uh, de- de- democracy of any kind. This is no human rights. Well, this that no might opposition. actually be an this insult to not... the
0: Third Reich. <laughs> at, le- at least oh, they, maybe, were, yes. they were serious. I mean, Zelensky is, is an evil clown.
1: Uh, but you know what? I believe the people who behind him, they quite, uh, got them serious. And, uh, I believe that's, uh, a banderits who is quite serious and they radicals and they are Nazi. They real Nazi. That's uh, not a joke, uh, actor, comedian hired for perform the role of president. That people quite serious. They, they applaud into acts of terror. They cheering the Nord Stream blow. They, they doing, they actually, their next goal, this is a tactical nukes, tactical nukes for Ukrainians, because they understand that even without, even with the, uh, 300 leopards or like a, you know couple of F-16, even that furnace, they cannot win this war. So they need something what can give them, uh, and, and it's look like Kevin, it's look like the nuclear war, at least tactical. This is on the, on a menu of people who constructed this crisis, who constructed this attack on Russia and for Russia it's of course it's a question of survival of state they, they're going to use everything what they have to protect themselves and the people here who is cheering, cheerleading for <laughs> the more weapons to Ukraine they don't understand it they're thinking this Russia is bluffing This Russia has nothing Russia has biggest Arsenal of thermonuclear warheads in a world. <laughs> and uh, I just want to remind them this.
0: Right. Well, it does seem that the uh, the Ukrainian side would have the people who would see some benefit for themselves in this kind of losing cause that they've got uh, to set off some kind of false flag. Uh, a nuclear false flag that could be blamed on Russia would be in their interests. Um, Because otherwise, you know, they're doomed to lose. And the problem is that the media these days is not going to get to the bottom of any such nuclear false flag, no matter how obvious it is. If we look at the Nord Stream case, (laughs) it was almost comical the way everybody in the media presumably knows who did it, as Seymour Hersh has revealed in some detail. But none of them are willing to say it. And when somebody comes on the mainstream media and actually says it, like uh, Jeffrey Sachs did, they completely freak out. So the media is, is under some kind of uh, really extreme control, which leads to the possibility of the really careless and sh- slipshod false flags actually working. You know, with, with 9-11, it was so big and so shocking that I think the media didn't have to be completely under control to be hypnotized into not seeing what had happened. But now it seems the media is actually so under control that they're consciously uh, lying, uh, that everything they're putting out is distorted and they sort of know it and they just accept it and they go along with it. I don't think the media was that bad uh, a few decades ago. I don't know what happened.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I believe the media... Uh, first of all, of course intelligence community take care about this they infiltrate the media With the people who not exactly on a payroll, but on a, some kind of strings and this is a big numbers This is a thousands of people. They're very prominent. They in every big outlet the uh Operation Mockingbird after that they understand that there's a contemporary war uh, to win in a contemporary war we need to win the minds if you win in the mines, you win in the war. But the problem is uh, because over our ground, uh, overseas, in, the, in Russia, and, you know, it was, uh, for me, it was, you know, I was start working with Americans in American company when I was 19. I believe in American dream. I believe in the freedom, in the, in the values, real liberal values, what was one day in this great country. I still believe America great country because American country defined by American people. And now we're talking about the media what's serving the corporative and a government, uh, the goals. They're not serving the people. This is why media losing in losing the ratings or losing the uh, popularity. This is why independent media flourishing now everywhere. And look, even, even such an in, in our film business such a big award as an Academy Award Oscar it happened just recently. Before that, they awarded the flick produced on the, on the request of CIA about uh, the doping scandal in Russia. They call it a Karos." The, the Netflix immediately jump on and buy the film with a budget of 300,000 for four and a half million. They award the film an Academy Award. They make a big, big happy face. After that, they, they give Academy Award for White Helmets. Uh, actually, Fails Flag organization with uh, 900 operatives on the ground who is faking the photo, who is faking the video, who producing the narratives. They give them Academy Award. And and the latest one was a, another joke. They give the CNN film, make a movie, documentary. They call so-called documentary, but it's a, not a documentary. This is a docudrama. drama uh, with a, a leader of uh, Russian opposition, uh, Alexei Navalny, who was a leader of opposition on a level of 1%, who, who, a, 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 who, who also was controlled by the MI6 agent, Maria Perchik, who was infiltrated. In, and he was collaborating with Victoria Nuland and there was a Bill Broder and a McFall, all that gang, uh, was arranging the regime changes in the, in the, oh by the way talking about regime changes we forget about 2012 failed attempt to arrange with the leader of the, uh, this uh, color revolution in Russia that mr navalny was the leader of this attempt and uh, and the senate and uh, ambassador McFaul was an operative this is why he scared it so so deep when that uh, uh, putin was start talking to trump about the role of that guy and the role of bill broder and uh, yeah, this all government, uh, together with media and big tech, in one big, uh, you know, attempt to study technology of uh, people mind manipulation. And after successful implementation, imported that technology from Ukraine back home, and using this here, as we as we all see that from 2016 and 2020. You can be fan of Donald Trump or you can be opposite Donald Trump, but Ed, one thing is, is very clear. Media was used against him and that's the media who win the election in 2020. This is not uh, Joseph Biden who win this election, not a Democratic Party. This media show what they can do. to So actually we have no two party; We have only one big party of, Mind meddlers like a spruce.
0: <laughs> well, it was interesting that Trump ran against the media and won, and that was the first time that it had ever happened. And I think the media held that against him. You know, in the past, the media could easily destroy any candidate that it wanted to destroy by sort of ginning up some sort of a scandal and, and hysterically, you know, screaming big headlines about it. Like Gary Hart was caught on the monkey business boat with some young women. And uh, was it Howard Dean was filmed, you know, supposedly screaming too loudly into the mic? These, I mean, these these incidents were things that if that candidate had been supported by big media, they never would have turned into scandals and the candidacies wouldn't have been destroyed. Those are just examples of how the media has so much power over who gets elected. And so Trump ran against the media uh, direct, directly, right yeah. out in the open. And the media thought they could kneecap him. Quickly and take him out it didn 't work because by then nobody trusted the media. i think nine eleven was the single biggest reason. A lot of it is subliminal, but I think along with those of us who actually have a sense of what really happened on nine eleven there are a lot of people who have a really kind of sinking sick feeling about it and kind of realize that maybe they 're being lied to so when Trump came along and attacked the media. And, and said all sorts of kind of outrageous, unacceptable things that normally would have led to him getting, uh, knocked out of the race. And he, and he didn't get knocked out. No matter what the media did to him, no matter how hard they swung at him, they couldn't knock him out. And that, I think, you know, led to a really interesting situation. But yeah, as you see, say, ultimately the media, uh, won the, that next round in 2020. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I, I would personally like to see somebody better than Trump take on the media from a more, Uh, responsible and coherent perspective, there's talk of an RFK Jr. candidacy next time around, which I already wrote him in in 2020, and so I'd like to be able to actually mark a ballot for him. And uh, somebody, or Jesse Ventura was another guy who could have run against the media and possibly won back in 2008, and that would have been, I think, uh, a game changer if he had survived. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's it's quite interesting that the, the media is... Uh, becoming more and more shrill and one-sided uh, and openly propagandistic, as it's losing a lot of its audience and losing its ability to totally determine things, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it all goes. You know, it's it's a I guess it's a sort of a predator-prey race uh, to see yes. you know, who's going to win this thing.
1: Yes, and uh, I believe that uh, Trump, because he's motivated very well now, because he had he taken that very. Personal, he has a tremendous ego, big, uh, shiny, and uh, really, really like a, uh, angry uh, against the Biden. I think that anyone who who will try to take this uh, revenge out of Trump, he will also ignite him to attack him. Does I believe that interesting situation when from within the system supposed to fix themselves. You know, Trump was very popular on Twitter, as you remember. He was 70 million. They silenced him in one day. And the big tech, big tech is actually media because they trying to, uh, position themselves. No, no, we're not media, but they editing. When, when you take an editorial, uh, uh, goals and you start editing your narratives on your platform, you proceeding from that from just a platform to be media immediately. And uh, I believe that's what's happened lately with the uh, mask takeover of Twitter. And actually uh, still, still holding the Twitter in a, in a har- harnessing, but in a way was benefiting more people who was silenced. Oh, we was experiencing the silence as soon as our films hit the top of charts in March, April, and May of uh, 2022, because uh, you believe it or not, but our real popularity Ukraine Ukrainian fire come in 2022, not in 2016 when we released it. That was available and widely available, but that was not hitting the nerve because everybody thinking it's something small what's somewhere in Ukraine, something happened. It's a local, regional. Now everybody understand this is not local, this global, that can be here very soon and it's in danger. Everyone people want to understand what exactly happened in Ukraine. I have a lot of uh revelation from people who watch Ukraine fire and change their position in a one hundred eighty degree because they stop believing that propaganda and they start Understanding that real facts need the an explanation, and you know what's interesting, Kevin. That's doesn't matter how carefully you constructed narrative, false narrative. Uh, sooner or later, this whole house of cards gonna fail because it's it's a lie. You know, it's constructed lie, and uh, because of history is written by uh, winners we will see i i hope we will see how all this lie will be exposed and how all of this tremendous hoax what we experienced it before including the covid uh pandemic uh starting with nine eleven. actually i believe nothing big on a planetary level can't happen without some group of very powerful and well-funded uh conspirators Proceed with a carefully constructed plan. I don't believe in something happened uh, accidentally. I don't believe in this. How 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 are you? What you what's your take on this?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's true. It was which was it? Woodrow Wilson who said something about that that that, uh, or was it Roosevelt who, who said that when something happens in history, you can believe that it was it was meant to happen. It was planned. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think that. There are plans, there are contingency plans, and then, of course, there's that, you know, they plot and God plots, and God is the best of plotters. So I don't, I don't think things always go totally according to plan or under total control. Yes. But I, I do think, that I, the way I think about this, Igor, is that mo- if you look at the rate of how many crimes are solved, you know, just street crimes, you know, uh, it's not really that high. Uh, I forget you know, the, the murder clearance rate, you know, tends to be maybe 30 or 40 percent. Uh, and a lot of those are really easy, you know, just some family fight explodes. But uh, of any kinds of homicides where there was any forethought whatsoever by the perpetrator, probably a pretty small minority is solved and an even smaller minority is solved correctly. Uh, so given that, Normal ordinary crimes, which are usually committed by emotional people that don't plan them out very well, uh, people who are unstable or impulsive, etc th- and they still these crimes still don't get cleared. so let's think about the situation for really powerful people, you know, organized criminals of various kinds. How likely is it that if they see an advantage in going outside the law, committing a crime, How likely is it that they're actually going to be caught and publicly arrested and sentenced to prison for their crimes? Well, it's not bloody likely. So we can just assume that the vast majority of crimes of the powerful are never solved correctly and publicly and the perpetrators in prison just doesn't happen very often at all. And that means that there's a huge incentive for people at those levels of power to systematically commit crimes and plan to do so and organize them. And that's, so that becomes just the normal standard operating procedure at high levels of power. And that, so when you talk about a so-called conspiracy theory, you're talking about speculation about Crimes committed by people who have effective impunity, and therefore we know that such crimes are being committed. They must be. So we're just kind of guessing about some of the ones that come to our attention. We can assume that for every 9/11 and JFK assassination and whatever else, uh COVID bio attack, etc., that there are probably tens or dozens or hundreds or thousands of crimes, many of them of equal <coughs> magnitude or close to it, that we don't even know about, that we can't even speculate about, and that that's unfortunately I think how much of the world works especially the more in the more corrupt parts of the world and and so i uh, yeah i th- I think that in cases in these kinds of cases like nine eleven and various regime changes and and coups uh j f k assassination other political assassinations and so on it's just logical to assume <laughs> the worst uh, and of course that's why i'm a professional quote-unquote conspiracy theorist it's a dirty job but somebody's got to do it
1: kevin you know yes i was talking to my dear teacher and uh, oliver stone when we finished the filming in 2020 we finished the filming our new documentary is called kazakh history of the golden man we uh, was in Kazakhstan, we interviewed president, founder, father of this nation. And it's an interesting documentary for people to try to understand what is a multipolar world, what everybody talking about, we are living in the transition period from the unipolar world when the United States was dominating the entire planet to the multipolar world where the rebirth russia and the china uh not ready to play by that rules what we define and i start talking to oliver about the great reset theory because we was in the middle of covid pandemic and uh, and he even don't believe me he said no you need to talk to sean because i believe that they kill kennedy but i don't believe nine eleven was a hoax and uh, uh but he believed in everything including of ufo anyway uh, it's kind of like every, every conspiracy theory, what was big, proceed to be truth. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, think about that. what interesting things, What well, everybody cherishing democracy is so all good. So we have that limited to two terms or in a white house president who is governing us and we enjoy our freedom, but we see different. We see that man who stand in power for 30 years, and for that 30 years, he can grow the GDP 10 times. Can you imagine if we, for the last 30 years, grow our GDP 10 times? How good we was living this, you know? That was unbelievable result achieved by one man. And this is also asking, it's also raising the question about the moral grounds of the Powerful rulers who is in charge. If the people on the top of autocracy regime or me- 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 mediocracy rejo- medi- regime have the moral principles and stand to these principles, they can achieve amazing results. With on one hand, not changing the courses every four, eight years, keep pushing, keep pushing for their people, for their nation, and for well-being. You know because. Overall, it's everybody talking about, oh, why Why nobody talking about how bad Ukrainians start living after this 2014 coup? That was a very prominent, uh, growing country. Under my time when I was in Ukraine, 2000, 2004, we enjoyed like a 12% GDP growth per year. Unbelievable, good numbers. And now they have no economy at all. They have only war economy. This economy of, uh, IV because you need to pump the money from abroad into the Ukraine and they, we actually that spending on Ukraine unbelievable. Uh, and it's what's funny that's it. The position of Western Europe who is actually voluntarily demilitarize their arsenals because they send all weaponry in Ukraine and Russians just destroy it. And this is interesting how they are uh, planning to defend themselves because they practically empty their arsenals. That it's not only in Europe. We also have a problem with, uh, with uh, the shells of artillery. We, we have depleted our reserves. We need the sixth year to replenish this, this reserve of a uh, caliber of uh, 150, 55. what we use, providing to Ukraine such a great amount. This is nobody talking about this, but actually, this is a voluntary uh, disarmament process going on in uh, in Europe. Yeah. Everybody, you know, some—it's <laughs> funny, that,
0: yeah. yeah. So it's one way to achieve disarmament, I guess. <laughs> Probably not the best, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned that philosophical issue of democracy versus "quote unquote" autocracy. Of course, the media in the yeah. in the West is always charging these other countries with autocracy. But honestly, I I do think that the so-called democracy ends up mostly being a smokescreen for uh, oligarchy, in particular the rule by some really outrageously corrupt and vicious oligarchs. And if if you have an uh, autocracy run by someone, as you said, with moral principles or someone with virtue, we get back to Plato's political philosophy uh, that the best rule would be the rule by the virtuous – uh, and I, I think that's true. And so really, the argument about the method is just a method of you know which method is going to get you ruled by more virtuous people. And maybe at some points in history, one could have argued that democracy was producing you know, people like Kennedy or Franklin Roosevelt, if you're a fan of him or whatever. Today, I don't think so. Today, democracy doesn't seem to be producing a whole lot of virtue.
1: Yes, we call in the uh, uh, way of political governance democracy, but we don't have a democracy. I believe the last democratically elected president was JFK and he was killed. And after him, everybody who was in the White House was somehow, uh, approved by the military industrial complex and, and the intelligence community. This is what we have. This, and that, that agency is run by uh, ruthless oligarchs, of course, the families who own the country. And I believe that will be a big demand and the new way of governance because it looks like we are facing the failure, tremendous failure of our democracy, what's not exist, but still cannot manage the governance of people during the hard time. And people, it's a source of any other power. This is a, this is a rule of political science. So we are the people, we are, originate that power. And after that, our process of delegation of power is so old and so uh, corrupted because we practically have no any possible way to withdraw our candidate, our delegate who are representing us, because they doing whatever they can, mostly carry and take my money back, give me my money back. This is their motto. This is what they all, when they achieving the position of rulers, this is all they all implementing. Only people with a high moral grounds and the people with a, who is a believing God and who believe in principles and who stand their principles. They, that people, that kind of people, very rare birds in the, in the political zoo, what we, what we have on a, on a capital or an entire world. But, you know, I believe in the education and enlightenment of people and people educate themselves and people develop a critical thinking and or even simple thinking. Before digesting the scrap, what MSM and big tech feeding them, they already liberated. They already enlightened. And you know, you cannot rule by the lie. You cannot rule enlightened people. They feeling on the intuition level, there is something fishy here and something what they cannot take for granted. And they start digging. They doing their own research. They find in their own sources and they try to bring another people to this process of enlightenment. Look at an uh, amazing musician, Roger Waters. He is, a, he was an icon from the beginning of anti-war movement. He stand to his principles. He's still there. Even his concerts in Europe and Germany was cancelled. You yeah. don't care about this. Yeah, he's he's, he's really taken he's taken worked. on
0: the po- big powers of all kinds, the uh, the the war machine, yeah. the Zionist machine. Uh, they they none of them like him, and he's he's still standing, and we're we're still standing too. I think it is the end of the show. The bumper music is if it's not playing yet, it's going to start yeah. real soon. But uh yeah, thank you so much, uh, Igor. This was a great uh, conversation, and it's also a yeah. good lead into the second hour talking about Imran Khan, a very, very rare virtuous mm. politician, and who's mm. targeted by another regime change attempt. We'll be back in the second hour to talk about that. So, thank mm. you, Igor. God bless. Look forward to thank talking you Kevin. again.
1: Thank you. Take care. Thank you for having me. So, like, okay. Bye. That's Igor
0: Lopatonic uh, Sorry, I'm Kevin Barrett. Back in the next hour. Stick around. We'll be right
1: back.